Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right. Good morning, everybody. And uh, what a what a morning it is. I can't hear myself in my ears. Is this working? Anyway, it is Tuesday. <laughs> it is December 8th. And good morning, Vince. Good morning. What did you do last night? I don't know, but I can't hear myself. Hold on. Oh, there we go. There the you up. are. Right. We had a party last night, which was um, for Blue Realty Group, and it was unbelievable, heavily attended, um, and a lot of fun casino night. And, you know, I got like three and a half, four hours of sleep, so I'm not functioning on all cylinders this morning. <laughs> You're one of the few companies that actually Pardon invites me. other people from other companies. We do. We That's do. like the nicest thing ever. Everyone else is like, no spouses, no friends, no agents. Yes. Yes. No, we have spouses. We have significant others. We have broker I saw, friends. I saw a have, baby there. I saw a baby there. My God, that? Andy Kim's Andy baby. Andy Kim's is baby. <laughs> three months old. I have photos. Oh my God, that little boy. And I must say, I didn't know like three quarters, maybe more of the people in the room. It was wild. I That's, was like, where's my firm? That's well. That's that's what was interesting that's about it because design, we invited right? lots of customers who ended up coming, lots of broker friends who ended up coming. So it's kind of like you know, just come and celebrate with us. Casino night, lots of fun. Um, gambled. Man. Everybody got a million dollars to start with. A million yeah. bucks. Yeah, a million, a million bucks. bucks. Oh man, real going dollars. Crazy. Real money too. Real money. Real money. Wow. Real the person money. who the, I think no number one winner at the end uh, <laughs> turned in like twenty-two million dollars. So he, he really was on top of his. His game. All you need is Apple a chip watch. and a chair, right? A chair. <laughs> That's amazing. And you got an Apple Watch. You got an Apple Watch. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's a great. What do you gift. know about the Apple Watch award? Well, he's psychic. I oh, it was in the email. Okay. Or Facebook, yeah. 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 Oh, on Facebook, yeah. that's yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, there, there you go. Yeah. Two o'clock yeah. in the morning, yeah. Facebook update. <laughs> anyway, how is everybody? Good to see everybody. Have we, yeah, we were here last week together, right? I can't remember anymore. It's been so <laughs> yes. Your name is V-I-N-C-E. I know. Yeah. I told Got you, it. too much vodka, so, you know, bear with me this morning. Everybody good? Good. Yes, we had a charity event that uh, Niles on the board that. of yeah. called Save a Child's Heart. And yeah. uh, I think we raised about forty forty million dollars. I mean, not forty million, forty thousand dollars. Forty million would be great. Clearly, uh, pool's also not very sober well. today. Exactly. You can skip next year's event so, if yeah. you got forty million. Exactly last night. right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. sorry it coincided with yours, but I know. it was. I think we all had a lot of fun last night. Listen yeah. to my voice. <laughs> I was just gonna say, listen to our voices. That's yes. a great indication. You sound like me, Pearl. Yeah, yeah I know, right? <laughs> we, we all sound like Ivy Ray. And I <laughs> sound like Harvey Feinstein. <laughs> 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 All right, let's get into it. We're going to talk a little Hollywood for the for the minute for a minute here. Here we go already. Justin Bieber is totally spent emotionally and mentally, and as a result, he's pulling the plug on some big time appearances to promote his album. But sources in Bieber's world tell us he's been on a virtual roller coaster with his mood swinging like a pendulum, and it's just becoming too much. We're told he's dealing with personal issues, but it's not related to drugs or alcohol. Thank God. Justin canceled uh, an appearance on uh, Stephen Colbert's show last week, and he also was supposed to tape a performance to air during the Thanksgiving Day Parade on CBS, but he backed out of that too. So aside from a couple of appearances on Ellen, he's been kind of incognito when he's supposed to be kicking off a world tour. You know, my question is always with these guys, when when is Hollywood just too much, and what is the deal with, you know, being overexposed or, you know, crazy emotional and needing to pull back? What's going on? Well, I think in all fairness, I'll start out that uh, 
you know, there are specific development stage, developmental stages that take place in a human being's life. And this young man was in the process of his when he became on the first for three consecutive years, one of the top most powerful celebrities in the world on the Forbes list. So and he was raised by his mom was a teenager. So he's, you know, like all human beings, if we have big lives, it's very challenging to have a life that's in balance, to have a life where you get all of what you need for yourself. To, this is just if you've got a rocking job. So if you're worldwide powerful, he's one of the most popular people on earth, it's hell being him. And I, it's largely contingent. We know all of the big celebrities that whose lives ended because they weren't held well by their support people. Look at your faces. Anyway, I mean, Justin... Who, 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 Justin Bieber, God bless. What? I know everyone's I, I, looking at me like, I don't what? know much about him. I, I'm just listening. He's I'm, a child. Yeah. And he came he's out as a child. He's 21 years old. He's 21. Oh, he's been came, around for years. And he came out a, at 14. Yeah. Can I be the bad was, cop, though? And he, well, uh, wait a minute. Give I'm you, just, it doesn't give you a right finish. to not show up, though. Wait a minute. To your oh, point. okay. I'll get down with my bad little self. Hold on. So if you have a regular life and you kick ass as a CEO or a broker, it's challenging to do all of what needs to be done so you're mentally, physically, emotionally, et cetera, well. This guy's a kid, and he has been one of the biggest people on earth for the last eight years, and he's still a child. So I say it's uh, – I say hide out, Justin. Go get yourself together. He's earned the right, and um, I mean that's how I feel about it. I could go into it, but the show is not me talking all day, nor is the show about this. But his, his mommy was a teenager. And well, it's, he it's, it's, kicks ass and they don't have boundaries and no one schedules him. I mean, it goes on and on and on, but he deserves to fall apart. Well, as, I, <sighs> as I and I were doing a couple of weeks ago, we were singing Broadway musicals. And I'm hearkening back to South Pacific that you have to be carefully taught. In his case, he was never taught the social mores of being polite and I'm not going to blame his mother, but I don't think she was taught a lot of things because she was so young. Well, she was a child. He, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a lot of the problem. And I believe we all have to be taught these things when we're young. And he's still not too old to learn how to pull himself together. You guys are he's way too learn. forgiving. You I'm a tough girl. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? He's got people. He's got a lot of people behind him. And right entourage. He's got PR people. He's got an agent. Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, plenty of people, Selena Gomez, they all were born in Hollywood. They all show up on time. They all have great reputations. They all respect other people. They don't get in trouble. So I have, I'm you actually You know what though? Like, I think the pressure, I think that the, what we're also not, what we're discounting is pressure. Um, I think that he, it seems that it, this is probably the one album where he really as, I mean, you know, he was on Instagram and, and, and social media so much. He was hitting it so hard. Promoting that, it, yeah. Promoting. And I'm sure it was his people who were doing a lot of it. But I think that the pressure, the as soon as this story, I was I was looking at what we were talking about today. And and when I was thinking about this this piece, the first thought that came to mind for me was Dave Chappelle. And the reason why he came to mind is because he put so much personal pressure on himself that he fell apart because the pressure of being able to show up every week, doing mm -hmm. a show every week, that was going to be like beyond, you know? And I think at 21, it's got to be daunting. I mean, I remember falling apart in my early 20s, 
because just life seemed so big, yes. you know? Yeah. And, 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 and that's why I do believe. Of falling apart because yeah. that's part of growing up and going and through your 20s. And he can't even go anywhere. Right. Yeah. right you know, exactly. People attack him. He's just running around trying to, you know, live a, know. Live a normal life. Can you imagine being I mean, him? That's, yeah. that's crazy. Well, I can imagine crazy. on a lot crazy. of levels, but I can't. But the reason I bring it up I'd is I'd love to imagine on a lot of levels. <laughs> yeah. I was just struck by his, um, by his recent album. And Ivy and I were talking last night Beautiful. to somebody. At, at a party and, you know, who said he was really never a fan as I'm not really a Justin Bieber fan. But I got to tell you, you know, I heard his debut song and I don't remember the name of it. We were talking last night about it. What do you uh, mean? A couple of weeks ago. What do you or mean? Sorry. Or sorry. Yeah. It, it, like it, was one, it was one of those three. But I got to tell you, so I heard that Love and I it. thought, yeah. wow, as you said, he is a kid, he is a child and he's gone through so many tumultuous times, but he seems to be, you know, coming of age. And this particular album, and again, I'm yes. not a big fan. Really kind of speaks for itself, I think, and is, you know, hopefully pushing him to the next level in his talent, in his talent and in his career. And yeah. in his maturity, right? And in his maturity. Yeah. So when I read stories like this, so he's kind of like acting up again, not as bad as before. I just get a little nervous. You know, the dad in me says, hey, you know, just calm down, kid. You, you've got it going on. Just keep going. And you know what? I, this talent. album's deep. <clears throat> I think it's very meaningful. It and I think it's really creative. I think he's pushed some, pushed some boundaries and really done a great job. I really think he has. So I think it's a great album. I'm actually a fan finally. So <laughs> That's what I, I said last night to this person. Yeah. I think I'm a fan finally. That's a good yes. way to put it because yeah. I really, you know, have never been. But, you know, I've always been a song person. But, you know, if I hear enough from one person, I become a fan of that person. And he's yeah. kind of getting there. On the heels of that, Coldplay is headlining the Super Bowl halftime show this year. And a spokesman for the National Football League hinted that past halftime performers could also join the band on stage. Katy Perry, for example, starred in the most watched Super Bowl halftime show earlier this year when more than 118 million viewers tuned in to see her perform with Lenny Kravitz and her now famous Dancing Sharks. Previous halftime headliners include included Bruno Mars, Prince, Beyonce, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen, U2, and the Rolling Stones. So my question about this is, you know, so these halftime shows draw so many viewers. Is it really about the football game event or is it really about the halftime? Because you know, everybody knows that the, the Super Bowl ratings are always the number one rated show for the year. Super, you know, big hit. I I will tell you, I watch it for football because I like watching football. The halftime shows are great, but I have to wonder, what's the balance here? I mean, I think it really depends on who you ask. If you're, you know, you're asking folks who are really interested in football, they're going to do it. But then the the people who aren't, it's a spectacle of it, right? You know, they, you have the halftime shows, you have the theatrics, there's the commercials. That I was going to say, I was like, I do it for the commercials. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. Awesome. You know, the, the marketing and creativity the is, is fantastic, yeah. which, you know, how much of the, if you watch a football game, there's only like 10 minutes of actual game being mm -hmm. played anyway. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's true. That's no, true. You, it's, the rest is like they're walking around and the plays are being well, called and then there's it's commercials. It's the old joke, honey, I'll be with you in five minutes. Is that five minutes or five football minutes? <laughs> which could be 25 minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Oh, well, I'm a football fan. Yeah. Well, Two-minute um, warning can go for 20 minutes. Yep. One thing that's interesting about football and especially the Super Bowl is in this age of on demand and you watch things uh, that, you know, that aired last week and you're on your iPad and you have your iPhone, you have apps and stuff like that. It's one of the few live shows that everyone watches at the same time.
time. So mm-hmm. there is something yeah. that's kind of cool Absolutely. about that. You know, isn't that sports time. in general? Right. That's right. That's right. It that's is right. so exciting. That's right. Like bas- I'm a right. basketball freak. Yeah. And it's so damn cool. It's Oscars happening too. as I watch. Like Oscars, Academy yeah. Awards, like yeah. the same feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And it's all, we, all the big event shows, but I think the Super Bowl kind of scoops all of them. I mean, a million dollars a minute for a commercial. Three million dollars a minute for a commercial. I mean, when I was single, I loved going to the games for the boys. Whatever brings you to the the commercials, definitely. But the boys, for sure. I was going to say it's a social event, right? I mean, it's a social event. It's a chance to see your friends. It brings everybody together. It's a party. Exactly. And Super Bowl Sunday is the one day you can get tickets to the hottest, hottest Broadway shows because they are available. You could still get Book of Mormon tickets. Well, I just lost mine. (laughs) <laughs> I actually it's just true. tried to get them last weekend mm-hmm. and they were like $199 to sit in the bleachers. And I said to a friend of mine, I don't think so. No. I've still not seen the show, but I'm not going to spend 200 to sit all the way up at the back. So I want to see Hamilton. I can't get them. Me I've been trying too. forever. You will. Try Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah, no, it actually happens, makes, when makes Book perfect of Mormon sense. was brand new, yeah. that right. was the one day you could still get tickets. But you won't be doing an open house close. that day, right? No. I do early. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> you do of early enough to go. She does. All right, we have to go to break. We are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Bring it back to it. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're talking to the full panel today for the full hour. Parul Bronbat from Compass. Rachel Altschiller from Douglas Elliman, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Ivy Ray, Blue Realty Group, Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. So I wanted to talk about this too because it, 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 it disturbs me when I still read stories about you know stuff like this that I, I consider you know antiquated. But it's old news that women tend to be paid less than men in the U.S. and that's why women in Hollywood are fighting the status quo. Um, uh, A-listers like Jennifer Lawrence, Reese Witherspoon, mm-hmm. and Patricia Arquette are among many speaking up about the issue. These actresses are demanding that women be heard and represented in Hollywood as leads, producers, directors, and more leading roles. 
and that men further the cause by being champions for women's equality. So, you know, my question is, why is this still an issue in Hollywood? I mean, you know, this is an age-old issue from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and on and on and on. Why is it still an issue? And I want to tie it into, you know, other industries, including real estate here in New York, where women seem to be on top of their game, very successful, call their own shots, just like women, uh, men or anybody. But why, you know, is it still tough in some industries for women to get that, you know, yeah. equal status, equal pay, equal whatever? I, you know, it's it's mind-boggling to me when I read stories like this and think, well, you know, come on, I read this when I was 16 years old, you know? You know, there's so many different issues at play. You well, know, there's so I think we're many different. Say the same thing. I'm sure. Rachel, go. I'm going to let it's you run speak by first. Men. If if an industry is run by yes men, no. that's what that's what you're going to find typically. Well, and real estate, we're independent contractors. I was going to say it's a boys' club issue. I think yeah. I find it to be that. I mean, Rachel's tall, so I think that you maybe mm-hmm. fe- face this a little bit less mm-hmm. as a shorter woman. I'm five four on a good day. Oh, I love um, where you're going with this. Yeah, it's really interesting because wow. I think that we as human beings like equate certain even physical stature as power, right? Like but you're prettier than I think me. It's, so <laughs> oh God, please. that evens out with the height. <laughs> Oh my God, no, but I mean, seriously, you know what's so funny, She's though? They're the both things. gorgeous. It, no, but, but attractiveness is is a double-edged sword, it too. Is. Because immediately people look at you like a dog spoke Chinese because you have a brain. I mean, it's quite amazing to actually start recognizing as you grow up and grow through life that people have a fixed view in their minds that if you look like this, you must sound like this, you know? But going back to the height thing, a lot of times when I'm standing in a group of three or four men who are all 6'2 to 6'4 and I'm standing there, it's like everybody's literally talking over my head. And as a result of that, you really have a tough time even being part of the conversation. Also, it's about golf courses and, you know, sort of like certain bonding activities around which— The old boys club? Yeah, the old boys club that American society is built upon that I think that a lot of people who are the exclusions, you know, whether it's somebody who's a minority or whatnot, you see that. I mean, I was sitting—I was talking to a gentleman who went to Yale— and a super smart, successful guy. And yet I just sense that little bit of a of an insecurity because he isn't, you know, of your typical, like, you know, background that you would assume somebody to be from there. And there was, and he started talking about, well, what do you think about slavery and how it affects today's world and whatnot? And I knew, I saw exactly where his wheels were turning. But I think American society specific is a little, specifically is a little difficult because for women, going back to the women's issue, if you're a Hillary Clinton, you're not feminine enough. And if you're a Jacqueline Kennedy, then you're too feminine and not strong enough to be, you know, a president, for instance, right? So there's this double-edged sword, I think, in our society that, that exists that, for an in- instance, in India, in Pakistan, believe it or not, does not exist because women have been leaders because women are seen for their own strength. They don't have to be strong in the same way a man is. So Indira Gandhi could wear a sari and run a country. And I think that the the rhetoric and the understanding of what a woman is in order to be a leader needs to change from the concept of a woman being strong in the same way that a man is. I agree with all of this, but I also think, and this is not a blame the woman thing, it's just that I'm a little older and I've been in many professions. The way, at least my generation, I'm in my 50s, has been socialized, and people in their 40s too as well, I've seen in different professions, is we don't ask for the raises. And when we ask, we ask as if you're doing me a favor. 
You know, men and women, when they have job interviews, and you could read all kinds of information on this, talk about salary very differently. You know, women are, oh, whatever the position pays. And men are, no, I want this and with these conditions and this and this and this. And women, the new generation are starting to do that. Because I agree with Parul, I agree with Rachel, but there's still that little bit. And we could look at India, we could look at um, Israel, Mm -hmm. we can look at certain countries in Europe. And the women don't have golf courses, but they are asking for the right salary, and we have to learn to do that. All right. There's you also know, the, I, I just, the raising I children. I want to say something there. Oh, it's such a big subject that I'm it sitting is. here absolutely silent. But, you know, women around the world, young girls and women, are still getting genital manipulation. They're still got well, – let's not pretend that anywhere in the world the game, the level, the playing field is level. I also think that there's uh, a very fundamental thing that you can't begin on even ground. Women carry children in their womb. Women give birth. Women still all around the world generally are the majority of human beings that stay home and raise human beings. So that, how do you begin to look at things equally? And then if you look at things equally or just look at the large span, women are getting more powerful. Women are getting larger mouths. I'm totally with you that if a man is assertive and powerful and successful and outrageous, he's awesome. And if a woman is, she's a bitch. So I personally don't care. And I don't define myself as a human being or as a woman as to the norm, but most people do. And then in terms of Hollywood, it still far outweighs it uh, with you again, Pearl. It's about who runs the studios, who has the positions of power, who the directors are. You've got to go behind the scenes and it still is way out of balance. But women are, you know, I don't know. I'm going to shut up because I could talk. I think women can be very easily discounted in, in, in a room, right? So it's like if it's a, it's exactly what you said. If a woman's too assertive, all of a sudden it's like you're, you're, it's almost like you're speaking out of turn is still the way you are treated around a table. Um, so it's a, it, I just think that the mindset to change an actual mindset, <clears throat> I think takes generations, right? Well, yeah. And so I think if that's why it's an mindset, question. If you talk about mindset, if you look at what's going on in California and, and Mark Zuckerberg, for example, he just had a child and he's actually taking maternity leave and that's becoming more and more, I think there's only like three states in America that pay for, uh, paternity yeah. leave or whatever it is. Um, so Zuckerberg is doing it, and that seems to be like a bigger and bigger trend in California mm-hmm. um, where, you know, as Ivy was saying, you know, women do stay home, but now the trend is kind of, you know, going the the other way as well. In so other countries that support it. Yeah. In Finland, I mean, we exactly. say so many other countries where it's just, if you look at evolution and from the overview, oh my God, is it shifting. But it in is. a very it real is. place, I think it's individuals, women got to stop hanging out and talking about how they, how this is and stand up and be human. And I, you know, so I have, I, I, I sit all over the place within it again. I'm almost tongue tied because it's a huge discussion. And it, anything I say is just going to be a teeny little speck. One no, thing but as we've Peru evolved said earlier, so there's so many facets to it that mm-hmm. yeah. you can you can have a conversation with regard to this topic for for days and days and probably just get to the surface one, of it. Uh, so. One quick thing that I think is a kind of a <clears throat> shout out to the real estate industry is that the good thing about the real estate industry is that as a real estate agent, you earn 
what you do, well, you know, and yeah. women kill it in real estate. Yeah. You know, some yeah. of the yeah. top people it, in real absolutely. estate. So that's kind of just is proof, yeah. right? That, yeah. right? I mean, they just kill it. Well, you know, it's there's a contractor status that we all yeah. have, and no one is here to tell you what to do or not to do. So you are your own individual right. business, and so you do it to your level you do whatever of the hell satisfaction, you want. and you yeah. do whatever you yeah. really want to do. There still are more women than men in real estate, but men are still top in earnings. And, yes, uh, that's well, true. Also, Whatever, but then you can't. How many women are having children? And you know, go ahead. <laughs> there's also flexibility. The that's a huge factor. I was in advertising, mm-hmm. and the women who were very, very successful, they basically neglected their personal life, and they gave mm-hmm. up on the child, and they gave up on the husband, and because they had to be, had to be present all the time with clients that's and traveling. Thing. And so, women have mm-hmm. the flexibility in real estate to have mm-hmm. that, and that's why we can exponentially grow our businesses when we want, how we want, um, along with their families. But I, yeah. yeah, after September 11th, I lost my job in advertising due to that. So. It was a blessing in disguise because I really looked at my superior mm-hmm. who wasn't a nice person and I was like, do I want to be that person? You mm-hmm. know, that's really what it takes. It takes a woman who really has no morals and ethics and, and to I, rise to the top. Yeah, I think Rachel, that, it, it you're hitting it on the head. I think you're really like sort of, sort of getting beyond the surface. And I think it's also a lifestyle and how do we… How can we actually, not just for women, but I think this is becoming an issue like now suggested for men as well. How do we as human beings balance our life between work and family? And I love that our world is starting to turn towards for both parties, it becoming more involved with the family itself. And I was a strategy consultant before real estate. And I, when I decided to make a switch, it was exactly that reason. I said, do I want to be working 60 hours a week where every vacation I am sitting on the beach with a laptop doing work because somebody needs me to do just this one thing all day long, right? And do I want to live my life that way? And it was the flexibility due to which I came into real estate. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. So let's move on and talk about real estate. So the co-op board (laughs) has just implemented a flip tax, and the seller is concerned, a seller is concerned that the flip tax is going to decrease the value of her apartment. So what are the steps that a co-op board must follow in order to implement flip tax, and will the seller have to pay that tax when they sell their apartment? Now, again, you know, we're New York City real estate uh, agents, and we all understand you know, the do's and don'ts in this town, but for those listening out in the hinterlands and around the world, uh, what is flip tax, you know, and, and and where does this come from? And does the seller have reason to be concerned that it might affect the <coughs> overall value of their apartment? Well, first of all, a flip tax is not a tax. It's a fee. And these flip fee, flip taxes were instituted back in the 1980s when many buildings were converting. Because I remember I was in a building converting. You're the, you're <laughs> the cutest you're thing on so two feet. That's right. right you are I am so Co-op excited by this because I think I do love flip taxes because I think they're very healthy for a building. Let me back up just a little bit. When buildings were converting from rentals to co-ops in the 1980s, there were no guidelines at that time. And I know I personally could have bought my rental apartment I was living in for $30,000 and immediately flipped it on the open market for seventy. That's what things were like in those days. And right. many people were doing that. And the buildings have to follow attorney general uh, regulations and their v- various laws to keep the building 
um, able to, able to give their shareholders a tax deductible. I was doing status. the same thing too, though, in so, those days, and mm-hmm. buying and selling and flipping and mm-hmm. making lots of money, comparatively yes. speaking. And so I just sit back and think. So then, why does the building have to participate in that? Right? I mean, it's the value of my apartment. That's they right. They still get their their maintenance or their 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 fees. So if I'm making money, I, I looked at it as you know a little bit of greed on the building side that says, hey, you know, these people are flipping for awful lot of money. Why? And I'm told we have to take a break. Hold the thought. We'll come right back right after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for segment three, and we were just talking before the break about flip tax, and I made a comment about it being a little uh, you know, bit on the greedy side for buildings to want to participate, for lack of a better word, um, in – you know, a seller making, you know, a nice profit or a huge profit back in the 90s when I was buying and selling and flipping and realizing some nice profits. It was a game of mine. It was, you know, a, a, a strategy that I put in place to get to an ultimate goal, which I think I did. But in the meantime, I was selling apartments after buying them six months a year, whatever, fixing them sometimes and then flipping them. Uh, now they have television shows about flipping apartments or, <laughs> or houses in, in, on HGTV. But I was doing it. And so, you know, in the days, and I didn't, I don't think I was ever in a building where there was a flip tax. So I just wonder sometimes why, you know, what the incentive is for building other than to just build a reserve fund and find a reason or an excuse to have extra money. Now, somebody in, in during break mentioned, well, there are assessments. And then there's also an increase in maintenance if they do need uh, more money in the building to keep the building, you know, uh, running. So I, I just really, I'm not comfortable personally with the flip tax, you know, scenario. So I'm not... Well, I understand it because if you're in a building that has to do a major capital project like repointing, this is checking the mortar in between all the bricks. Most of our buildings here are made Which we're going through right now in my building. Which is a big deal. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars to Mm -hmm. do this on any building in Manhattan. You need a certain amount of money in your reserve fund if you're not going to refinance the building's underlying mortgage in order to take out money. So many buildings will... Uh, do an assessment just for that. An assessment usually will end 
So you'll see it's it's a certain number of dollars per yeah. share or per apartment yeah. um, for a year or two. And then it ends and your maintenance goes back to what it was. If you have a flip tax, because most of the buildings that do these cap, these um, assessments for capital improvements do not have flip taxes. <clears throat> they don't have a big enough reserve fund. And the people who are paying the flip tax, they tend to be people exiting the building. It's usually the seller. Sometimes it's the buyer that pays. Mm-hmm. And you could usually tell when you look at buildings if it's a new flip tax. And if the buyer pays it, that means there was a huge fight in the building over even implementing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a one-time fee, and right. it goes into the reserve fund, and it eases the burden. Remember, it's a co-op, cooperative. You're living communally, and it's – easing the burden on all of the shareholders when you have to do something big like elevators are pointing. Absolutely. All right, moving on. So tales of neighborhood gentrification are nothing new in this city, and we've talked about it many times on the show, but it's hard to ignore just how high-end the gentrification of the once bohemian Greenwich Village has made the Mm. area. Author uh, Michael Winship points to the recent closing of, for example, Empire uh, Szechuan on 7th Avenue South after 30 years. I didn't realize it was there for 30 years. My God. Uh, Just as one example of how affordable mom-and-pop restaurants no longer have a place in the neighborhood and how high-end boutiques and people who shop in them have taken over. The owner of Empire Szechuan was quoted as saying his rent went from $5,000 a month to $25,000 a month with a new lease opportunity. And just a couple of blocks away the um, uh, from the empty restaurant, two apartments just sold in the controversial, controversial high-end condos on the old St. Vincent's uh, property, mm-hmm. one for $16 million and one for $20 million. So, I mean, it's such a, a you know, a difference in, in you know, uh, incomes, for example. What is actually happening in the West Village? What is actually happening in these neighborhoods with gentrification? It's kind of like the train has left the station, guys, and, you know, there's no stopping it. It's just running straight ahead and kind of plowing away everything that used to exist in all of these neighborhoods. Ivy, don't you live there? Yeah. (laughs) You're such a honey. You know, I will – I'll open it by saying that this neighborhood – uh, versus some of the other that I'm deeply disturbed by the gentrification and the and the new building yeah. in, um, I still find the West Village to be one of our sweetest neighborhoods in the city. I agree. And when and so I don't I live there and I don't get I I certainly understand what's going on and I see it every single day, but I don't get that the basic feel of the West Village has shifted in any gigantic way yet. And I, you know, obviously I'm hanging out with bated breath in hopes that it yeah. doesn't because I hope some of New York can stay the same. Yeah. I know that they're because of the building, uh, help me the Alliance, the, um, um, the height landmark, the Land, height restrictions. Yeah. It's not going to happen in the West village right. in the way that other neighborhoods have been, you know, I don't know, dislodged, raped as whatever, like they, <laughs> they totally transformed. It won't happen as badly there. And another thing that you find is a lot of the little buildings like Bigelow is a great example, yeah. which is one of well, the oldest pharmacies. Well, that's a mom and pop forever. Yeah. yeah. And they own the that's building. stays there. Well, they own the building. Yes. And that's why it's going to stay there. And it happens to be the case that there's family blood. Now, we all know at some point they may decide to sell. But I happen to know the guys at Bigelow will die owning that building. Because I talk to them about it all the time. So it's not happening as much. And it seems to be also one of the places where I'm finding that the architects are giving at least a nod to the surrounding neighborhoods and the buildings that they're building that they're building kind of look like the West Well, Village. they're able to get the prices they're able to get because of the features of the neighborhood, because there's a nod 
to the neighborhood because as a result of that, there isn't as much property available in that neighborhood mm-hmm. because there aren't gigantic towers to accommodate, you know, 800 more residents every block, you know? Yep. So that's part of it. But, you know, I, I think it comes down to this. This city has always been a living, breathing, changing, growing thing, and it always will be. I think the trick is genuinely that the city needs to take more of an interest in subsidizing um, businesses that are smaller businesses. So that way not everything becomes a chain and uninteresting like everywhere else, you know. And I think that that's probably the only way of really preserving smaller businesses um, because rents are getting crazy. And unless you own the building, you know, it is a little tougher to preserve that. I think what that does do— do though it it does increase the pressure of having great quality because even individual restaurant owners or you know even you know places like those toros for instance you know if you make a quality product you're going to sell a ton of it you know and 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 be able to grow yourself i live on the upper west side as everybody knows i talk about it all the time but i only really socialize and hang out in the west village it's been or the greenwich village yeah. the village downtown i have done that for years it's one of my favorite places in the mm. world as well mm-hmm. And one of the things Ivy said, uh, and I, t- I kind of agree with, I don't, I don't feel from a visual perspective as I'm walking around the village that much has changed compared to other neighborhoods. And a mm-hmm. lot of it is because of the historic landmark situations, the the heights of the buildings, whatever. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the things that have gotten people down there a little more concerned lately is the controversial St. Vincent's um, yeah. former hospital site that's transformed <laughs> into these high-end, very luxury uh, type apartments. And listen, you know, progress is progress. And, and you know, as long as they build it and keep it to look and feel like the rest of the neighborhood, which they're doing, it should be fine. But, you know, people say, well, it's adding to the the, the children going to school. We don't have enough schools and it's going to, you know, impact the subway traffic. And, and that has already, um, you know, uh, been talked about and will happen when all those families move in. But again, it's progress. So, um, and and then people look at sixteen million and twenty million for the price tag of an apartment. And for some reason, because it's in the village, everybody wants to make controversy over it. But if it's on the Upper West Side or Upper East Side, it's kind of like, well, that's where prices have have gone these days. So yeah. it is what it is. So we've got to take it all with a grain of salt. But it, I I still maintain, and I will say this for as long as I'm in this town. Uh, there is no place for me like the West Village. I just feel like I'm Agreed. in a whole different world, and Absolutely. it's just a wonderful, wonderful place. All right, on the heels of that, though, so amid rapid gentrification, longtime residents of Crown Heights. Now, you know, these two upcoming neighborhoods really get me, but uh, they're going um, east or sometimes out of the country. They are living. They are a living reminder of the challenges facing a city struggling to make room for all of its current residents and all the new ones to come. The people of older Crown Heights who cannot afford the new Similar situation going on in Bed-Stuy. So how critical is this transformation? I mean, I think I read something about, you know, you know, coffee shops replacing where, you know, bakeries used to be with bulletproof glass because the neighborhoods were so uh, dangerous that, you know, scary. And now there, there are wine bars and, and coffee shops and Starbucks all over the place in neighborhoods like Crown Heights and in Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, for those of you out around the world who don't understand, you know, these two places or don't know these two places in the city – Really the last pioneers, I think, for gentrification. I mean, where else, you know, well, do for we now. go? <laughs> Bronx. Well, that's another whole story. And yeah. that South Bronx rejuvenation, uh, we've, we've, <clears throat> we've talked about many times. But, um, you know, Crown Heights, let, let's just settle on that for a second. I mean, the, the it's The trend is really actually amazing. Crown Heights is already – it's not even up and coming anymore. 
We're looking at Sunset mm-hmm. Park, Midwood, Kensington, all these areas, mm-hmm. Sheepshead Bay. Yeah. We're looking at these areas now. Crown Heights, I do a lot of business out there, and it is 800 to 900 a square foot already. In Crown Heights? In Crown Heights. That's incredible. I just, That's pi- I just pitched something, and— it- it, I was kind of shocked to are tell him. These townhouses, Rachel, or are these, these are uh, condos. The condos right? um, now, when I'm walking down the street, there's an interesting divide of I'm going to meet a developer in Crown Heights, and as I'm walking to meet him, I see people that have lived in the neighborhood for 40 years, giving me nasty looks. You know, what are you doing here? Please get out. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't mm-hmm. want our our mailings. Mm-hmm. There's a very, it's a a mm. huge juxtaposition. I feel like, and it, it's tangible. It's it's tangible more than Harlem, more than other up and coming. It's ve- they feel very very strongly about it. Where yeah. are these people gonna go? Exactly. It is that's I what mean, they're that is, it's that's a what they're feeling. Issue. Well, that's when right. I was doing the research on yeah. this, I kept looking for other articles that would tell me where are people moving to, because obviously with cocktail bars and 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 whatever else coming to these neighborhoods, young recent college grads moving there because. The price point is affordable, whether it's rent or buy. Mm-hmm. But where are the old-time residents moving? I mean, you they're know. going to Queens, and they're leaving New York City. A lot of people from Crown Heights. Yep. I know from the Hasidic communities. So is it a retirement situation, are, or are they just fed up with no, not they, being they able can't to? No, if they don't own, if they own, they're staying. Mm-hmm. If and they're deeding their homes to their children, their children are buying in with them. It's becoming a multifamily situation. If they can't afford it, they're moving to the Rust Belt because you could buy a six-bedroom house for $140,000 Can you tell the Rochester. listening audience? Oh, the, the Rust oh, yes. Belt. In Rochester, in um, all the old factory towns, which are – we think of them as dying, but the young who are leaving New York – are going there now and rege- if they, because they're new? Yes, they're artists, but there's also it's a lot of people that are in you tech. Point that out. That is very and true. And tech could be anywhere, and it's cyclical. Right. And this is where a lot of these people are going. What makes me realize? I mean, I just like if you look at the flow, right? It just everything is so cyclical. And so when the cities start getting way overcrowded, then people naturally just the noise, even if you, the affordability is there, the noise levels and the congestion make something. you move outwards. And then once you move out towards the sprawl and the city becomes more livable and more fun, then people start crowding back okay. inwards. Agreed. So there's just a flow to this. A there's great a example. To sorry it. to cut you off, but I'm, uh, yesterday was insane. We went to Park Slope which is one of the best neighborhoods in Brooklyn for those listening and don't know Brooklyn. Park Slope is like Fifth Avenue, Gold Coast, right? Mm -hmm. So we're like pitching all these high-end stuff and we're going to see these high-end rentals. All of a sudden, we see the cops lined across Prospect Park. Every car parked along the park, we're talking like 100 cars, had their windows smashed in. Wow. That's interesting. So talk about like what a weird time this is, right? It it was very disconcerting. Yeah, well, vandalism obviously happens in all neighborhoods, but I'm kind of surprised to hear that right outside of Prospect Park in a very— 150 cars all along the park. Oh, my God. Wow. That was a bunch of kids having a good time. Now, one would ask, how did they break the windows? That many, yeah. That many. I mean, with bats, with guns. There's pre-war co-ops all along the park. Someone had to have seen somebody doing that, right? Right. Right. No matter what time of day or night. Yeah. Yeah. And the question is the motive. Is it people against gentrification or who have lived there forever or their children who can't afford to buy in? Or is it just mischief? 
We don't know. Right. Yes. Before we go to break, right. we have about a minute oh, left. A but, you know, my movie. my thought always is, you know, with with people moving out and moving into other areas outside of New York State, even New York City. But, you know, and if they're not retirement eligible. So what or where do these people find, you know, jobs or, or livelihoods? I mean, you know what? Not everybody who leaves because of gentrification has a lot of money. To just go and retire somewhere at I, any age. So what, what, what do they do for work? I wanted well, to say about the circling, uh, to circle up what All right, Pearl hold on. Said. We've got about 30 seconds left. So we'll go to break. We'll come back and we will pick that right up. Don't go away. We have uh, a few minutes to go and we'll be right back after these messages. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for our last segment, and I wanted to just complete our thought before we moved on to the next uh, people leaving, you know, these areas that are being gentrified, whether, you know, it's Brooklyn, whether it's Manhattan, whether it's the last frontier, where are they going and what type of work are they finding? I mean, that I think is the is the real question here because you're living in a place and you've been there for a long time and you're comfortable and you do what you do, but then you have to go because you can't afford to stay there anymore. Mm-hmm. What follows? It depends how old the people are. <clears throat> if it's someone not from retirement age. not retirement age, these are people who saw what's happening in their neighborhood. They may be second or third generation of people who have lived in this neighborhood. <laughs> they realize they can't afford it. But the ones that I know of, and especially in Crown Heights, are not necessarily college educated. So they are moving out to to Rochester, to Buffalo, to places like this within New York State, and. Uh, Florida is a little expensive for them. Well, the, the ones I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they um, – Well, those neighborhoods have a lot of industry. That's right. Well, they just, have the infrastructure. That's yeah, the thing. No, correct. the industry is dead. That's why it's called the Rust Belt. What they're doing is they're being rejuvenated into sometimes tech towns, mm-hmm. sometimes a smaller kind of industry. Like, a, well, we don't really have publishing houses anymore because everything's online or, or self-published. But they're basic. They're, they're merchants. They're opening up the grocery stores. They're opening up the um, – uh, the, the local diners, the things like that, and they're they're getting those kind of jobs. If someone had a dream of becoming a carpenter, 
they're going to open up a carpentry shop or something and hire people. So they're reinventing so, themselves, which yes. is not a bad thing. And I think no. we all go through re- – listen, we're all real estate agents second or third because we've all had other careers prior to this for the most part. So reinventing yourself is not as bad uh, sometimes as Here's we think. actually another thing too. Interestingly, <clears throat> a lot of people right out of college or like in that young 20s or people who haven't gone to college – Interestingly, I was I can't remember the exact number now, but there's a huge influx ever since marijuana got legalized to Colorado. There's a huge number of younger people who are moving to Oregon and moving Carolina's to Colorado. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yes. yes, that too. It's a big business. It's a big business. And it's just, it's funny that that's exactly where the people are flocking to. <laughs> that is a very big business. And I was recently in yes. co- in Denver in yes. Colorado. Yeah, and so was I in Boulder. And so many of the people All that I'm going to say is, wow. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know so many people that when I was there for a week-long intensive of, yeah. you know, something else not real estate related. And so many of the people went to the places and got pot and, and, you know, like stocked up before they came to the intensive. It was really, I was there. I was there there in your shop. I was there in the springtime and you just walk down, you know, the boulevards. I forgot, you know, the, the, the fancy streets there in Denver, but you know, and everybody's just hanging out in cafes. Like we hang out in New York city on the street corners and, Wow. It's the, Amsterdam. It's something. Smoking yeah, <laughs> awesome. pot. The aroma is yeah. not yeah. to be missed. All right, let's move on. <laughs> the amount of time that listings spend on the market uh, fell 20% to a record low of 73 days in the third quarter of this year. This according to a report recently by Douglas Elliman. So question is, is being the first to make a solid offer giving you a leg up or when is the right time to show interest? You know, this is always a strategic move, and, and this is why we tell our buyers, listen, if you want to really win at this game, and I hate to keep calling it a game, but it is, you need to work with an experienced broker. When yep. is the right time to put an offer in? When It depends on the property. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. How many people were at the first open house? It depends on it depends. Or on if so they've much. had it, what if they didn't have an open house yet? You want to put in a bid on a Thursday. If you don't know the broker, right. are you afraid they're going to bid against your bid at the open house if the owner insists on having it still? And leverage your offer to get higher. Exactly. Yeah. And in today's market, it used to be that we should we were able to say stuff like you know, we will make this offer if you cancel your open houses, you know, and if, if we exactly. get to accept it before the open house. And in, in today's market, that's really tough to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have to well, say that. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. The, the nice thing about working with a broker that have been doing mm-hmm. it for five plus years yeah is we normally know, usually know mm-hmm. the other broker on yep. the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And which means that as a courtesy, that other broker obviously can't tell us and disclose certain information, but they can guide us accordingly if right. we know they're ethical. Yeah. And that is priceless. Yeah. 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 And in addition, as a broker who's usually on the sell side, many times I will have the scenario that Perul was just talking about and saying, um, would you please cancel the open house because you accepted the offer? And if it's a Friday, because of technology and we can't always do that, I personally say to them, look, I can't cancel the open house, but I will be at the open house. Your buyers could send friends who I will not recognize to come and test me to prove to you I am not going to, as we call it, shop your bid. Oh, I'm not going to let you bid against. I said that to that's you. Interesting. Didn't I say that to you? When that's our Deborah. Isn't that yeah, something? And Talk I about think a we would all do that agent. here. Isn't and you can test something? me because I won't recognize them. Yeah. And I won't shop your bid. Well, listen, you know, yeah. they're strategically <laughs> putting – you know, I had somebody recently say to me, well, you know, I don't um, – I, I liked it. It was open house. I want to put a bid right now. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. We, you need to wait because if you don't know the other broker on the other end, you mm-hmm. don't know what's going to happen. And – 
bids get shopped or 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 not. So you've got to wait and 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 strategically put in. Mm-hmm. You know, on the heels of that, a broker at Town Residential was quoted recently as saying, "I tell my clients not to fall in love with a place. It is heartbreaking. It is a heartbreaking experience when." You go into a best and final and you don't end up getting the apartment because somebody else overbid you. So you have to distance yourself from the property until the contract is signed. And although I agree with him in that quote, I say, well, you know, you really have to love an apartment before you want to buy it. So, you know, where's the middle ground there? What's the what's the <laughs> the middle of the road here? Because I bought and sold many apartments and I'm not buying anything unless I love it. Yes, I get disappointed if I can't have it, but you got to love it first. I tell someone to sleep on it. You could put in a bid, but I want you to sleep on it. And I want you to think about how much you love it. If you love it so much that you will be forever in mourning that you lost it, look through all your finances, look through all your relatives, look through everything you have and come up as high as you can and put in your absolutely best bid because you do have to love it. There's something though really Mm -hmm. special about being the first offer on the table. And as much as it's important to wait and strategically guide your client, there's nothing like being the first on the table because even if they get a higher offer, that seller, if they're a good person or the broker, if they're ethical, will say, you know what? They came in first. Let's allow them to match it. There's something special about being the first one on the table. So there is a it's it's a hard you know art well it's a I think, science and an art I think but, as Perul said earlier too yeah. it really depends upon the property yeah it, yes. it, it well it depends totally. on a lot of things it, but it really yes. depends upon so the property much. yeah and, you know it, it's actually it's, it's a revenue rule that we were just told and about as for loving it you have to go back to the first one and ask them to match it oh really I didn't Wait, know what? that until I didn't know this until about a month ago. But we are under we are not realtors in Manhattan. We are under Rebney, the Real Estate Board of New York, which is pretty much the same thing. We have certain ethics we have to follow. And someone pointed out to me and showed it to me in the Rebney thing, and I fell off my chair, that <laughs> if if you have an accepted offer and somebody comes up higher, you have to give the first party a chance to match it. But so that's wait, an accepted have, offer, not just a first that? offer. Yeah. Yeah. Not accepted offer. I've uh, I've always yeah. done that. Yeah, but I've, I've always done that, that too, but I didn't know. Yeah. No, hold on yeah, one second, one second, guys. Match it. Define that for me because the rules that I've always worked with is you never disclose what the highest amount is. Mm-hmm. So you can't you give them the opportunity to rebid yes. and to come up on their yes. offer. Yep. But for the listening audience, you know, unless I'm understanding the revenue rule incorrectly, the general way we do this is that we don't disclose the highest offer. We just simply say we have a higher offers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we guide it a little bit and we say it's tremendously higher or it's a bit bit yeah, higher. Exactly. Thank um, you for clarifying. Right. <laughs> That's exactly. Yeah. Or are you willing to come up? Right. Yeah, yeah, you go back to the first right. and, yeah. and, and tell you them allow that them. someone has outbidded yeah. you and so, do you want to come up? What Perosa yeah. said was is right. Yes, but it's, yeah, because that would have been that would have been really weird. It also goes into what Rachel said about we all know each other after a while, and if you have a relationship with the broker, you say something like, "You got to come up a lot," right? Or you know, come <clears throat> up, we guide it come a little, up a little. Bit you know, we, right. we can whenever guide right. it. You know, it's, or we it's have multiple offers at asking, and right. then that yes. intuitively right. you know you have to go above asking. Exactly, to get it. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. But you right. do have to go back to the first person yeah. with an accepted offer um, to have them. 
give them the chance. But I think we're missing the biggest point here, which is we have to do what the seller wants. We work for the seller. So as much as we want to do things and have somebody else match, it's what the seller wants to do. All right, everybody. You know, we have so much more time, uh, so much more left to talk about, but we are out of time. (laughs) That is good morning. That's right. Next week. That is uh, our show for today. Thanks for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us. And we will all be back next week. Have a great week. Happy Happy Hanukkah. 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 Season of Miracles. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.